0: And welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello, and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. I am looking at my very good friend, uh, framed, friend, Jace Hunt on screen. How are you, Jace? <laughs> all right, mate. How are you? Well, apart from the fact I can't say friend, <laughs> um, I'm absolutely I'm absolutely fine. First question, because I've had loads of snow today. Have you had snow?
1: No, nope, none at all.
0: All right. Okay, fine. Must just
1: be me then. In fact, well, it's well, been quite cold. mild. Has it? Quite mm. mild? Quite I mean. mild for the time of year.
0: All right, okay. Well, we'll ask our guest the uh, the same question, because tonight we have got with us uh, Aziz Ibrahim. Aziz, how are you?
2: I'm uh, not very well, thank you. <laughs> I'm not going no. to do the British thing. All right, okay. <laughs> the stiff upper lip and all right. that. No, no, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, <laughs> sorry, that I don't even want laugh. to say the words. I, I have to spit every time I use any words, you know, begins with an L this particular one. And um the state of everyone. State of me. <laughs> I, I was a young man before <laughs> before this. <laughs> you know, I've got this beard now. I've lost my eyesight. <laughs> Since March my eyesight's gone downhill. My skin's terrible. Don't see any sun. Go out once a, once a day. You know, on a long walk. Anywhere between I don't know, not very far, but between four and ten miles, or something like that. That's quite that's, far. That's all right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. I'm not doing too badly there. No, you're doing really well.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I try. I have a, I have a run one day and a walk on the other, and I walk up between about four and six. So if you're getting up to ten, that's a yeah. Ten. That's that's more than a walk. That.
2: I mean, it was through that blizzard we had a few days ago. <laughs> I took the dog for a walk and I had to carry the dog back. It was too far for the dog. <laughs> I did, I talked to him in my jacket and just his little head was popped out like that.
0: Oh, I'm starting to regret just asking you how you were. I really... Sorry. I, I should a, have started with...
2: I'm an expert digressor. <laughs> you, 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 you are, you are. I'm a so, professor of digressor, <laughs> digression.
0: So, um, have you had snow? You must have had snow, yeah, you're not that yeah. far from me. Yeah.
2: I, I've had I, a I lot of snow. I, yeah. I mean, it depends what level I'm walking to, if I'm walking up, because I'm, you know, I'm here with my partner in Ramsbottom right in in the Ramsbottom and uh, <laughs> it's um right near the peel monument you know right the bobbies wooden yeah. tops yeah yeah <laughs> uh, peel monument's uh, behind us and um just the, the obviously the further you get up then you get snow and so forth and yeah. the lower it's more kind of just very hard hard uh, soil yeah yeah but, so, how uh, long have
0: you been there? Because, because last time we hooked up, you were you were in you were in man you were in Manchester.
2: I, I've been back. Well, I'm still Manchester. This is greater yeah. Manchester. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But
0: you were you were more central, <laughs> weren't you?
2: Yeah, I, I'm still central, but i I'd, I'd been to and throwing, but yeah. Um, you know, well, you know, talking about relationships, you kind of I spend more time here than I would I do in my, my other place.
0: Yeah. So. For those who don't know, moving um, on swiftly from yeah, my well, personal yes, ideas. yes, I, well, that's what I was trying to do. I was, I was trying to move, move slightly on there. I was, was going to, you know, and I'm, I'm desperately trying not to ask you how you are because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole again. So, um, so, I mean, we first met what four or five years ago now. I, I think I don't so. Know how, yeah, yeah, I don't know how long you, you and you and Jace have known each other. Probably oh,
1: about ten. Long, long, yeah. long
2: time. Yeah, long time. <laughs> long time, GA. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was was your guitar shows, wasn't it, Jason? Yeah. Right from the start, really.
1: I think, yeah, I think it was. I think you were a performer on the first one. Was he on the Rotor Sound, Stan?
2: um I, I did the rotor sound yeah um and then there was another time as well uh, is it prs or maybe i just is? attended i can't remember sometimes it was in between yeah that's right when you came and turned me down i remember now <laughs> yeah that,
1: that was on the rotor sense and i remember that as well <laughs> the, the, all manner of skeletons are coming out tonight <laughs> the aren't the they? noise
2: police the audio police turn up yeah <laughs> and it was funny that because i, I remember that distinctly because there was a I wasn't used to doing um, guitar shows uh, or p- calling it demonstrations, but sometimes it's just appearances, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So I was there under the guise of an appearance but on for sound, And I turned up with um, an old Marshall JTM 45 and <laughs> two, not one, but two by 12s which had Alnico Golds in them, Celestian Golds. So they were—they're fifty watt each, yeah. Yeah, what are they? thirty watts? I can't remember. But uh, they're damn good. So I'd, I'd just put it—you know—that kind of Marshall thing where you just set the volume and turn it up a little bit. <laughs> the volume just goes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, had, it was a clean. I I'd, I'd used pedals. I brought a few pedals. Oh, it was a Rotosound pedals because he'd launched. Uh, ah, Jason that's right. Yeah, yeah. the, the whole range of those. It's a good job I'm sucked by night. Pedal Supply, which is all of the floor now. <laughs> so,
1: Yeah, didn't he do um, like a... Uh, Jason
2: enticed me with his reissue of the old Fuzz. Fuzz, that yeah. That sound used to do. And then he gave, gave me the uh, the others as well in the series. <laughs> They're all... Like, They're all massive, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd set up an, uh, and I'd used that for uh, sounds and I plugged into the, for, the, the Plexi, that JTM 45, and then... It was just the loudest thing in the whole room, wasn't it, Chase? It was, yes. It and it was like, it was because I'm not a demonstrator. And you know how it is in guitar shows. People tend to have these kind of, a lot of waspy sounds, you know, and they're, they're kind of scooped and they're mid-range. And, I, and I'm a kind of, I'm a live musician. You know, bands are always playing. And and my sound is always about projection and body and about presence you know in a band situation how do you get your guitar heard (laughs) you know it's not that kind of old fade in the background or sit in a pocket as a session musician it's the kind of take up that kind of space you know be present the guitar is you know it's got to carry the songs it's the guitars carrying the the you know the band on the music and I think that's what it was, Jason. I just kind of was in that kind of st- state of mind. So the AMP choice of AMP and the speakers and everything was about I play a single note and everybody will hear it. And everybody so, did. Yeah, everybody did. Yeah, yeah. Hey, blame the EL eighty fours, not me.
0: <laughs> so I, I, you're you're one of those people that are fairly unique in the fact that a lot of people know you, but they love you for a lot of different reasons. And what I mean by that is, uh, yeah, I know, I know. Quickly, I know. Yeah, I'll move <laughs> Get to on. the point. I'll move on. But what I mean by that is, so I I came across you because of my uh, Marillion and Steve Hogarth. Uh, connection. So oh, I came across you because of the H band, but then a lot of people will have will have heard you first time around because of the Stone Roses thing. But then you've got the Simply Red thing, which was before that, wasn't it? So it's Simply- a long time before. Yeah. Well,
2: not a long time. Sorry, that was a decade before. It was 1987. Yeah. I I joined Simply Red, and uh, I think the last shows were in '88 at um, the festival in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. And São Paulo. Yeah. So it was a long time. But I mean. The Roses, um, that era, you know, the Manchester band thing, or I, I suppose Simply Red is a Manchester band anyway, but uh, yeah. and that was the 80s and The Roses was l- mid to late 90s and then the Ian Brown era was into the noughties um, from the 90s. Um, but prior to that, you know, I, that's a very small segment actually. So, I mean, through the um, early 80s, the bands that you know I was playing in were like Rebel MC. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, you know, the baseball. I still got the original baseball cap and Tashini tracksuit I had at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was a B boy then. <laughs> I had my bit of cardboard and trying to, you know, break dance. Failed miserably. Uh, I was playing in Rebel MC, yeah. And then from that, I started working with Dennis, the great, late Dennis Brown, reggae superstar, and Barrington Levy, um, Freddie McGregor, Harold Dunkley. You know, I, I got a long decades and decades of history of reggae hmm. uh, actually the roots of my playing comes from reggae music back to my manchester band fourth generation and earthman who taught me everything about uh rhythm really that's what i mean you know i'm a, a kind of player you know you give me one string to a couple of strings and that's all i need on a guitar to play and it's the basis of my playing is rhythm And it comes from the reggae bands that I played for and recorded with for many, many years. Um, There's a lot of stuff before Simply Red and the Roses, you know, even Errol Brown, Hot Chocolate, um, Asia, you know. Mm. I recorded one album when I joined Asia. Asia uh, Arena uh, was the album I did. Um, Just didn't have the hair (laughs) and that blue jewelry. I didn't have the. And the pointy shoes—you've got some of those, haven't you? Hans?
0: <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> but but you see, there's a the thing, and that's what I meant about the question. I didn't know that. You know, I've known right. you a while. Um, you know, and we've 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 nattered on at length about various things, and I didn't know anything about the reggae stuff.
2: Right. I, I mean, that's just the nature of um, the industry or the music business, and living in Manchester. So, Manchester's always been. Quick to promote, always you know pushed the indie aspects. Mm. I'll call it indie, but that whole Manchester scene uh, is always promoted the most. As is the late Tony Wilson and Factory Records, and and at that time for me, I never even went to the hacienda. I was I was going to blues and soul all nighters, all dayers. I was going to blues in Mosside and Hume I was playing the reggae bands. I was playing a lot of soul bands. Uh, originally when I was in a band called The Fifth of Heaven with the late Denise Johnson, one of my oldest and best friends who died recently, who was in Primal Scream and um, actually worked with many people. But, um, you know, the band we were in, Fifth of Heaven, we were doing support tours for Alexandra O'Neill, Freddie Jackson, Mays. So it was all the old, great soul acts of the 80s and... um, we we're on these support tours, and I joined Simply Red after that, and that's why I left that band. But uh, that was an era and a chapter of my kind of soul, my slick soul kind of era, <laughs> looking like Atlantic Star and <laughs> all the dance moves. Not
0: have you got a shiny suit somewhere?
2: I have, yeah. There's a few pictures with Errol Brown with the, a suit that I'd never ever wear again. Um, I, I don't no. need to
1: Google that now. <laughs>
2: There's a few of those, yeah.
0: So that that so there's the reggae thing, which morphs into the soul thing. That's the entry into the simply red, um, you know. Uh, and those those couple of years with it yeah. was it say a couple of years you, you spent.
2: Yeah, Superior? I mean they both played a part because I mean I remember um, Hucknall's kind of tastes were um, mm. reggae, big time because he bought that back catalogue, didn't he, of Burning Spear and stuff, and uh, mm. and then. Um, also, it was kind of Keith Richards orientated, and the, and then on top of that, he was, you know, his own music. The the Simply Red music was mm. slick soul, really based on Motown mm. R and B. I would have said early R and B, and um, I just had those backgrounds. You know, they were like second nature to me. It wasn't anything new. Um, the only thing that probably I struggled with were the aspects of. Jazz, really, (laughs) you know, I I can't read or write music in that sense. And um, a jazz player, I'm not, I'm a blagger, you know, I could blag a few jazz chords and play a a sneaky little rhythm or whatever. And because my kind of Indian classical kind of influences, of I I can work in odd time signatures. And it's probably the reason why I've worked with bands like, or with Steve Hogarth and Marillion and Richard Barbieri and uh, JBK. Um, all the prog rock and experimental music, and of the last thing was Stephen Wilson um, touring Grace for Drowning. You know, because he had that um, kind of odd time signature background through mm. I- Indian or South Asian related music and Indian classical and so forth. It's in the blood, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you, because um, I'm going to try, I'm going to keep trying to bring it back onto the timeline. So. Simply Red, you do the Simply Red thing. Yeah. And then you say there's a gap between that and and the Stone Roses. So what's happening between Simply
2: Red? There was a gap. um, It wasn't really a gap. I I mean, that interval between um, Simply Red and the Roses was filled with uh, Rebel MC, Errol Brown, uh, Ruby Turner and um, Asia. Yeah. So I think Asia was the last thing. And then at that time I wasn't doing like a lot of musicians, you know, struggling financially. Uh, not very good at accounts, <laughs> so and um, but um, uh, yeah, so it literally went from recording with Asia, not very happy with the setup of how you know. Well, anyway, that's another story. it'll all be in the book. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's what I tell everyone. This does anything to me, I always say, yeah, Well, it'll all be in the book, so can't see you in Asia <laughs> if, if I'm perfectly honest. You, uh, yeah i mean like i said i didn't have the jewelry that blue stuff and uh, turquoise and i didn't have the, those shoes those boots didn't have the <laughs> didn't have the hair certainly not that um but it was the, i suppose it was the love of and the chops and it came through i keep saying this but my friends keep seem to pass away all the time it's it's the weirdest thing so night the late great nigel luby who's an absolutely phenomenal engineer. He was engineer for Yes on tour. And then also, um, he introduced me anyway to, he actually engineered the beginning of uh, Ian Brown's Unfinished Monkey Business, that, that debut album. I brought Nigel in, but he'd got brought me into Asia. He'd recommended me to um, to the lad Jeffrey Downs and uh, John Payne and I met Mike Sturgis then who was playing for 21 Guns as well you know Scott Gorham's group and uh, he was then drumming for there was a swap over then from you know Carl <coughs> Palmer to Mike Sturgis um, yeah Asia was the last thing and then I was teaching I was saying that I wasn't you know was struggling financially mm. so I started teaching uh, there was a There was a lot of kids asking their teachers to ask me in Shropshire, where I was playing a lot um, in Oswestry around that region. Um, I was playing in like a a friend's band, Phil Beaumont, his name is, who was originally Mr. TC Electronic uh, in UK and playing with his band. I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. He was at Arbiters before, so you Mm. guys probably know him, maybe know him from Arbiters and a few other companies, but he's a pro audio. A dealer and distributor. Uh, he does FON, I think is one of his biggest products. So I used to go over there when, uh, during the Simply Red days to buy TC electronic equipment from him, um, 2290s, and I was using that time, 1128s. Um All top notch gear <laughs> for professionals. <laughs> so yeah, so I loads of kids in that area were asking their teacher, "Would Could you ask? the guitarist would he come and teach guitar at our school so that's how I I got into teaching just because there was such a demand and it grew from a couple of hours to the whole week literally from eight in the morning to eight in the evening teaching and then I get involved in the house music competitions and then I got involved in the sports I started teaching basketball so this whole career of teaching (laughs) but I was knackered by 95 (laughs) by 1995 I was absolutely knackered and it was just a good job that Um, Robbie Robbie J. Mardish the drummer in The Roses at the time came over to see me about helping them with demos for the let's call it the third coming (laughs) um, album and to just help with guitar playing guitar because John Squire had vanished at the time they didn't know where he was so um, I did those early demos and then you know it's all history after that how I joined and Slash didn't (laughs) Because he wore leather pants and they were not having it.
1: (laughs) I think there might have been a bit of blue jewellery as well.
2: There might have been a bit of, yeah, turquoise involved. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then the the roses thing obviously then works its way into the Ian Brown thing. Because you're with Ian through that period, aren't you? Through the period of the roses.
2: Yeah, so the demise of the roses in 97 um, immediately went into ian brown's solo career um only because he was the only guy that i could actually get in touch with and gave me a straight answer um as to was the band over i was um, kind of relieved you know that he was it was a burden i'll tell you it was like a burden like no other uh, and it's not even the same as somebody joining guns N' roses you know because it wasn't one person they brought in guns N' roses brought in three yeah. and all top players you know um Buckethead and so on and blah 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 and you know the guys um but with the Roses it was just John Squire as you know is one of the biggest icons of British guitarists of the 90s you know 80s 90s uh iconic players that and, and iconic players you can't replace it's like re- trying to replace Jimmy Page in Led Zepp or something you know he, it's just not gonna, it's like me in Asia, <laughs> not having the hair and not having the... <laughs> but I mean, it's not the music per se, because I mean, obviously I didn't write the music. That's one thing to say, that was music that related to him. But music has never been a problem for me. You know, like somebody says, hey, you, joining a, you want to join our band and gave me like 20 songs to learn in a week it's not a problem because that's how I learned to play as a child, seven years old, you know, putting a piece of vinyl on and keep playing that bit until I'd learnt it. Mm. <laughs> and because that's all the tools you had to learn music in those days, you know, you had your record player and you just had to listen and learn by ear. So it became my way of playing that I would play by ear. And so the roses set I learned in a week because it was, I hey, I'd. We had tapes then, you know, little cassette tapes and then dap players and stuff. And um, and I could guess, I watched, I don't know what many videos I could see at that time. There was certainly no internet you could use. So, but I could, my ears were telling me where the hands were. And I never used a capo to tell you the truth. So every song which had a capo on it, I actually did inversions of the chords and learned to play the songs without a capo. <laughs> um, it was a great challenge. But what I did learn was that there is no other guitar like a 1959 Gibson Les Paul and there is no guitar like a 1959 ES345 or a 62 Strat or a 59 Strat because that's why I inherited when I joined the band. The band owned this almighty collection wow. of the greatest guitars in the world and I carried the 59 Les Paul around with me um, in a beat-up old case, the handle almost hanging off and getting on a plane with it all and running around with, even in my neighborhood where it's easy to get mugged (laughs) for just (laughs) buying a new pair of sneakers. Uh, And I'm carrying a 59 Les Paul around with me. It was an unbelievable time. But it did teach me about what those instruments are really about and what vintage amps are about and how to create tone from instruments and uh, amplifiers of character and how your own character comes across I mean, I think that's what my development as a player has been over the past few decades has about, been about identity and how to develop, nurture something from picking very... It's almost like Queens of the Stone Age where you, you pick very unique amplifiers and guitars to create unique sounds within a song. Uh, I'm more a song and a band person than I am, you know, a technical, you know, kind of soloist, I, I think. Um we all go through phases. I went through my Ibanez phase in the eighties.
1: <laughs> I was watching um, Rick Beato's um, channel yesterday, and he, yeah, uh, that, great um, channel. Uh, that mm. what makes this song great. I don't know if you've watched any of them. No, um, I,
2: I do. I, I watched that one where they played a, a Led Zeppelin uh, song, and he brought in friends to play.
1: Uh, yeah, I watched um, so Angie lying. yesterday. So we brought in friends to play um, on Angie and try and break down Nicky Hopkins' piano parts and stuff like that. But it just reminded me because I, I watched the one on Queens of the Stone Age yesterday. Oh, um, I didn't see that. T- talking about all the, the different tones and stuff like that. It was utterly fascinating. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of I discovered it because um, I'd played four chords on the guitar and I went, oh, that's a Tom Petty song. Which Tom Petty song is it? Oh, and how does it go after that? So I just like typed it into YouTube, and it was um, it was free falling, and it was kind of like uh, I, I right. and and it came, what makes this song great. So I'd ended up watching it and being absolutely hooked. So I've watched loads of them, but there's over a hundred now, so I, I haven't got time to watch them all. So I kind <laughs> of pick and choose the ones that I'm
2: interested in. There's beautiful depth in that information, though, isn't there? Um, it's almost a, to me, it's the equivalent of when i used to buy vinyl and you used to read all the small print of the producer and who played which instrument and and now you've got people like him and also um i've forgotten the name there's another guy similar to rick beata who's a session musician tim pierce that's his name oh yeah yeah and then tim pierce will share information about the the songs and sessions that he's done and give you the insights of oh I was actually the original guitarist on the first jo- Bon Jovi album <laughs> you know yeah. it wasn't even Richie Sambora that played the guitar solo on Runaway their first single and it was him and he he'll you know show you in his setup this is where he played and how he created the sound and but those band albums that that to me is so interesting yeah. you know the insights into how they create those sounds and tones. And sometimes there's no thought process behind it. I think sometimes they get a bit too anal about it when a lot of the greatest bands, you know, some bands that I love, there was no technical aspect to it. It was just purely the fun of playing an instrument and getting out of the house and hanging out with your mates and you just plugged in anything and you played anything. <laughs> and you didn't learn anything or scales or whatever you just kind of knew a few notes and you played um, and there's a lot to be said for that you know um, that's why I find I mean YouTube is so kind of <coughs> I don't know the insights you see on YouTube are fantastic but the parts that are often outweighed are the parts where the valuable um, experiences of musicians who are not very technical but they are influencers themselves just by their character alone expressed through their songwriting or band or influence on their band and even if they were they owned the van or you know the old drummer owned the van story even if they were that or they were the inspiration that always there on time these are there's all these contributions make albums make great bands I love those stories. Yeah,
1: yeah. Have you watched um, homeschooling with Tom no. Bukovich or oh, something like that? Put homeschooling in, Easy but with with a K. <laughs> um, he's a session musician from Nashville, oh, and he just sits right. in his gar. He's literally in his garage with his iPhone propped up, yeah, and just just talks like. You know, well, you could play it like that, but no one really plays it like that. Just do it the easy <laughs> way. And but the thing is, he's phenomenal, and it, and it's yeah. so relaxed. Uh, and so it's like the the YouTube hit of lockdown, really H- homeschooling. <laughs> and it is. It, there's no production values to it yeah. at all. The only the only thing is, he, he's always got a different mug and a different guitar t-shirt on. Um Phenomenal. <clears throat> all
2: I can say is that. Yeah, I mean. It, it, I don't know that channel, Jason, but I I do understand <coughs> that YouTube has so much to offer, you know, so much information. Uh, but it's such a relief to watching BBC and Channel 4 and ITV. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, it's like you hoped for a musical program. You hoped for a program with, for me, it was like with guitars in it. Yeah. And then when they did have something like that, the cameraman was always oh sorry, the producer was always on the wrong camera. Uh, so every time there was the guitar solo, it was Thin Lizzy on top of the pops or so The camera would switch to the drummer or the singer. Yeah. During the guitar solo. And that's been life since nineteen eighties. You know, that, that's a <laughs> classic for motorhead on the young ones. <laughs> that
1: when it goes to the guitar solo, they're not focusing on it at all. <laughs>
2: That is true, though. I mean, you know, how I don't know how many times I can count the number of frustrations of, you know, wanting to see music and see even the instruments and get a little glimpse. Oh, because in those days, you know, it's not like YouTube now where you get to see, you know, you get Premiere Guitar or whatever they're called, you know, showing you the rigs, that's mm. it. Um, uh, that rig share kind of thing. Um, then you were lucky if you got a little glimpse even of the guitar and when they're playing. And it was bad enough that these cameras were shifted. The producer was telling oh, camera three, and it's not even on the guitar anymore. (laughs) And you're like, oh, my God, is this really happening? He used to throw things at the telly. I don't know. So I'm really, you know, we're blessed. YouTube uh, is fantastic. What a platform. Um, Anything you want to see. I mean, I'm a big basketball nut, so... I uh, watch a lot of NBA and college basketball on uh, YouTube, watch a ton of guitar stuff. But I, I have my own purposes, you know, it's like I do my research on YouTube, what apps I want to buy and I look at the, and, you know, people demonstrating them and so forth. But I've got my own purposes for them. One thing I do find with YouTube is that a lot of the people that I am listening to, um, what they're playing it's as bland as hell (laughs) for me personally. It's like, it's absolutely not the way to, or to teach people to play guitar. It teaches all the wrong things. Um, but I don't know if the focus is about bands anymore. If it's more about enjoying playing an instrument at home, um, and buying a product. It's all about retail. Really? The influencers are given the equipment by the, uh, Um, manufacturers or the distributors the influencers show off you know these products and consumers at home you know are stuck at home and buying the products but it's not really got anything to do with creative as well there is creativity sorry I'm, i'm wrong in saying that because all this equipment um whether they be apps or pedals or um software whatever it is you know um combination of things that they're creative things it's how you create with these objects i
1: I just always more enjoyed being in a band i mean i I, i've got i because you're old yeah i mean i've got a load of (laughs) load of (laughs) guitars a load of electric guitars behind me but actually the guitar i play most of the time is my acoustic guitar because it's just me on my
2: own at the moment yeah, but these belong in a museum, don't they? <laughs> Guitars are almost like museum things and uh, we think that they are currents and so forth. But, you know, I mean, kids are armed with iPads and Ableton <laughs> or, or controllers of forms. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with them. I, I think they're fantastic. I'm a, a believer in it. You know, I I I believe in any instrument that, is creative any person who's been creative in the tools whether it be a a computer or an ipad or a phone or um decks um i think they just kind of point out that um we're getting lazy uh in the sense that um as musicians playing an instrument and so forth we're probably not making as much effort as say like producers and djs are where they're taking their whole production on stage now. They're, they're creating on the fly and they're using technology because it now allows them to synchronize things easily. Um, and we're kind of like, we've just been like digging the garden and <laughs> not even put on any, changed our clothes and turned up at the gig and gone, all right. Yeah, well, get paid first before we play. That was that was grunge for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, I'm talking about the average blues band in the pub, really. <laughs> it's like the minimum effort, in a sense. And I think that, um, that young people are making so much effort now to give you production on stage, which far kind of overweighs, uh overrides the way that. A lot of, yeah I mean, I can speak for guitarists in this sense because I know my own you know pitfalls and and I think how much effort do we actually make to give a performance um to give people an experience and value for money you know for that ticket that they bought if they bought a ticket
1: i I think um I think, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, being a huge kiss fan, I was always quite aware of the need to put on a
2: show you know. <laughs> I it looks like I'm going to take the mic but I actually I, I think I told you this before Jason yeah I um, learned to play guitar over oh, my rock phase I learned to play guitar from what I call America's ACDC which was Kiss um, from Double Platinum <laughs> album every riff every riff
1: and the thing is What's wrong with firing guitars uh rockets from the end of your guitar? There is
2: nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Hey, talking to a man with a laser lasers <laughs> in the his acoustic guitars, <laughs> let alone his electrics and, and then I've got um what are they, LEDs thanks to Martin Sims. Um because I was an early believer in his products and <laughs> I've got LEDs on all my instruments oh not all my instruments, but <laughs> certainly on my Goldens. uh I have. And lasers, that. I even got those, uh, I've got the prototype laser rings that he invented, which were just like laser pointers set on each finger, 10 of them. <laughs> if you ever came to an Ian Brown show, you were blinded by me as I walked on stage. So they, used, they used to go all the way down to the end of the hall. Some of the shows I remember the most are when I could see the lasers through the smoke, the dry ice, and you can see the beams all the way to the back of, you know, Middlesbrough Town Hall or <laughs> Brixton Academy and it was great I mean it's a funny thing because no matter how much you practice your instrument how much you play the thing people remember the most are the stupid things you did they? <laughs> so I remember um, um, meeting Liam Gallagher and, and no backstage at, uh, they came to the Brixton Academy show and uh, he was seeing on the girls from was it Eternal or not Eternal yeah it was Eternal
1: I it was All Saints it was all, all saints. saints.
2: Uh, oh no! Uh, oh, We're no. going to show how old we are now. But uh, yeah, it was all saints, saints friend, wasn't it? But was, well, she, anyway, little colour. She she comes running over and goes, "Oh, you're amazing! You're fantastic!" I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, I don't mean to take the picture, um, take <clears throat> you know, extract the urine. But I, she just came and said, "Oh, you're amazing!" She said, "All oh, those lasers and those green lights coming from your guitar," <laughs> and I was like. So, nothing to do with my playing. It just had to do with lights. So I put a light on my head, I suppose that would have made a, a yeah, but I,
1: I, I genuinely think, I might have said this before on the, one of the podcasts, but I genuinely think the average non music, non instrument playing public, they listen with their eyes first and foremost. So, if you put on an amazing show, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. As long as you're competent, you can't be terrible, but as long as you're competent, with an amazing show. I mean, look at Kiss's career. They they are competent musicians. You you know, they're not Steve Vai or Eddie Van Halen or anything. They're just competent musicians. But their show elevated them far above any of their contemporaries, certainly in the US at the time.
2: I mean, that's production, isn't it, as well? Mm. It's thinking about the whole picture, thinking about giving people value for money, or maybe they're thinking about merchandise. I don't know, (laughs) because that's what... Well they I certainly think, thought about me. merchandise didn't they let yeah, 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 yeah. I mean the lead singer sells so many products doesn't he yeah. uh, I'm just going to take us whatnot. back briefly was it Nicole Appleton yeah yes it was Nicole yeah Nicole came running over to say, oh you're fantastic that was great that all those green lights on your guitar and the lasers were... and I was like okay so after that I built a mini bar into a marshall cabinet nice uh, full, full blown 4x12 not that poxy little thing that Noel carts around you know, it's like, going your lounge this was a full blown 4x12 and um, it also had rope lighting <laughs> and when you opened it up inside it was just going round and sequence patterns but I used to throw out bottles of water into the audience you know, and then pack shows and just throw them out into the audience And but I had a row of, you know, like three 4x12s, that's all they would allow me at the time and uh, <laughs> so we had a three, two 4x12 genuine ones, and the middle one was the fridge. Um, what else did I do? Yeah. Anyway, let's not digress into all the. Uh...
1: No, but I, I'm, <laughs> oh, all, I'm, I'm going to show, to show you one thing. A bar actually. On stage. Sorry.
2: Sorry, Jason. Uh,
1: I just like the thought of having a bar on stage.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm a guy who doesn't drink anyway. <laughs> so having a mini bar for your bottles of water is like a bit overkill. <laughs> I didn't let anybody else put any stuff in it either. But uh, I think one of the craziest things... I'm going to take these headphones off. I'm going to vanish. I don't want you to talk amongst yourselves.
1: All right.
0: Though, to be fair, as a podcast goes, that really is a bit shit, isn't it? (laughs) He's
1: back now. Oh, he's back.
2: So, what we have here... It's good I've got things at hand. You can see my name scratched on there. So yeah. is yeah. a proper touring flight case, as you can see. And he's mm. even got a lock for the clasp. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, as you can see, yeah, very professional. Yeah. In my favourite colour, purple. And um, I had this. <laughs> <laughs> that, got flight case for <laughs>
1: reflectrums.
2: For... Not any ordinary plectrums, Aziz plectrums. <laughs> well, actually, I'm using these now, which don't have anything on them, which are these you know, Jim Dunlops. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I've got some crazy things <laughs> but, uh, to protect my, uh, my pleckies. Okay. Well,
1: so we, honestly,
0: we've got massively off track but we've, we're virtually back there because that that gig that the Gallagher brothers turned up to then I'm assuming that was an Ian yeah. Brown gig
2: um yes it was it was Brixton Academy right so that uh, Noel canola's actually Noel and I were actually playing on the greatest tour of 2000 I think it was 2008 or 5 I can't remember uh we both because we'd I co-written songs i'd written songs for the greatest and he'd written songs for the greatest uh i think his was keep what you got so we were special guests on that so because i wasn't actually touring with ian at that time because i was i was writing with paul weller mm. so i'd met paul weller through the ian brown experience and uh paul and i got on really well and i'd already knew chopper um steve craddock we call him chopper and um steve credit from ocean color scene so i knew the band got to know the band but i got to know paul through steve white i'm kind of digressing again here because i was in a band with steve white um and mick Talbot. you know both of them um ex paul weller band and his brand, band was a band prior to that with dc lee um uh, style council so this was a style council guys and we formed a, a band called the Players. Um, you can't actually see. It. I'd have to mess around with the camera, but actually, let's be unprofessional and do exactly that. That one up there, that green. Yeah, thing, got you. Yeah, the players. So that's clear the decks. The album clear the decks, and um, that um, that all came about through meeting Paul Weller, meeting Steve White, his drummer, and his, uh, and then me, uh, Steve introduced me to Damon Manchello, Ocean Colour Scene. And we formed this group, which is like an instrumental group, we released two albums, this and the one after it, which was instrumental in terms of almost like the Mises. We had this idea that there'd be no vocalist and if we didn't have a vocalist, we would have room for everyone to play rhythmically or solos, whatever it may be. But in the kind of, you know, that, Meters, vein, really, grooves for people to enjoy, and and you could relax instead of trying to fit around a vocalist. And you know how frequencies change when you take an instrument out. Um, it was fantastic, great time. And then Paul himself, what a lovely guy, you know, would invite me to come and write with him all the time, and uh, just to hang out. And uh, I used to love showing Paul, you know, because uh, I'm always experimenting with new ideas and tones and sounds and learning new things from other instruments i don't listen to that much guitar i listen not to a lot of any other instrument whether it be koto i love working with japanese musicians uh, and their traditional instruments and indian or across um you know i don't know eastern europe and so forth some very unique instruments and i like to adapt the guitar to play similar to them to develop a sound and tone and I'd show Paul one of these things just sat outside you know um, some recording studio or wherever and I know that he'd go and show that to um, to Noel or somebody or other, and Noel would probably be like, you've been hanging out with that Aziz again haven't you hey, stop, <laughs> and we're not going to swear on this programme you well, can you know? if you stop. like <laughs> show me that Shit! <laughs> <laughs> I go. No, nah, no. Nah, listen to this. No, nah, no. Nah, listen, right? <laughs> and I'll be that. Like,
0: <laughs> so that that's that's Paul. So when did when did the Marillion, When did the Steve Hogarth thing fit in? Because that must have been
2: that was way back yeah. uh, after the Roses. Yeah, yeah, that must have been. So the Roses ended ninety seven. I was licking my wounds around. Oswestry hanging out with my my friend uh, Phil Bowman, and um, he'd invite he was friends with Marillion he's a yeah. very good friend of Marillion's and helped them in many ways and, and they've been recording at his place sometimes and I think Steve was having a break Steve Hogarth lead singer in Oswestry and uh, I met him through Phil hmm. we got on and we, we were chatting away found that we had nothing in common <laughs> and <laughs> grew to be the best of friends <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I'm like, at that particular time, you know, yeah, right, mate, how's it going? Yeah, top one, top balls, mate, yeah. And um, and he's like, hi, mate, you know. <laughs> hi, Aziz. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's flower power and I'm, you know. Not. I'm <laughs> not going to do it. <laughs> Down, 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 down. <laughs> well, no, no hi fi in the dressing room, mate. <laughs> Sorry, you got to have seen the... Soccer AM and all that one. But, no, um, <laughs> um, just musically, yeah, there were connections all across the world. But, you know, there were so many differences. It was just funny because I'd be going on about Thin Lizzy or something or Russian, be like, oh, I can't stand them. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, oh, he's such a lovely guy. I mean, I had so many things, you know, musical ideas. I think it was more about the encouragement he gave me. He, he heard my playing uh when we were having these jam sessions or wherever and, and he showed me so much respect and inspired me you know to con- continue in these directions um that i saw what a great guy and then it was just him that came up to me one time and said listen i put this band together a bunch of superstars um i mean you 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 know them don't you answer yeah you do you, you got um, Clem Burke. At that time. you got Clem Burke. Clem Burke, Blondie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Chucho Michan, yeah. bass, from Eurythmics and Pink Floyd and God Knows what else. Um, Richard. Richard Barbieri yeah. from um, Japan, the group, and also um, Stephen Wilson's old group. Uh, Porcupine Tree. Porcupine Tree. Mm. And then... Dave Greggs. Uh, Dave Gregory. And Dave Gregory, XTC. What a lovely guy. and What a fantastic guitar player. Mm. Um, so... This combination, and also on cello as well. Oh, um, Stephanie, Steph- Solby yeah. Jones. Um So it's a real eclectic mix. Mm. Um, and he, the, the album had already been recorded, um, Ice Cream Genius. But um, Steve just says, I would love to have you on this tour. It would be great to see what would happen with this chemistry between you guys and, and what you do. And wow, they were the best times of my life. i got to say, you know really were the best times. I enjoyed them. There was no pressure, no anything. And I love the level of the, the professionalism and the whole, um, ethos of, uh, it was just, just a superb time to hang out and learn so much from all these great musicians and, and the Marillion guys as well, meeting them and seeing what it's like to be everybody contributing to the growth and the life of a, of a band. And you i don't care what anybody's i don't care what anyone says i think you're great <laughs> <laughs> well, they were literally like that it was they were just i mean they were, for god's sake they were guinness book of records for you know business ideas yeah. and uh so many aspects that they're s- super intelligent guys i got the utmost respect for them uh and i don't care what anybody else says i think they are great um they they've certainly shown the way and paved the way for the future for people on uh, Patreon and Kickstarter yeah. and so forth and YouTube and the way that it is and all the way that they've nurtured their fan base and supported their fan base and the fan base has supported them is kind of the prequel to what we're seeing today, um, and they exist because of their fan base and and but they deliver you know what the fan base wants uh, or what would like. Uh, and always thinking new ideas and innovations, and these just people you can learn from mm. all the time, and that deserves respect. Let alone being fantastic musicians. Yeah. I mean, Ian Mosley, for God's sake. I was, I remember buying Gordon Giltrap live when I was young, and and Ian Mosley was the drummer. <laughs> so I was like, wow, this is Ian Mosley mm. <laughs> when I was a kid. Was like he was. They're, um, they're old as well.
0: They're just such lovely guys. They're just such lovely people. Uh, all of them, every, yeah, every single, single one, of them, one of them, you
2: know, whether it's Rother's or P or yeah, you know, <laughs> any of them, they're just so, just all of them, the whole band, mm. um, lovely people, and their entourage, the the crew. Yeah. Oh, it's a proper family. It's a family. I think that's a, yeah, you're you're right, Anthony. That's the word, family. Mm.
0: Yeah. That's one of those bands. Um, that's gone down in history. The H Band has gone down in history as being as being a really special, uh, yeah. you know, little little kind of uh, project.
2: Because I mean, it's gained its own following, yeah, 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 the yeah, loyal following.
0: And and I know there was a few and there was a few musician changes through the course of that band. But I mean, you know, I mean, you and additions, and additions, yeah. And I mean, because you, you, I believe you introduced um, and Dalbir
2: Singh yeah. than the tabla, tabla player, yeah. the yeah, maestro tabla player. Um, you know Students of <laughs> Bandits No he's not a bandit He's a shri Sukhvinda Singh <laughs> Namdadi
0: But you threw that into the mix <coughs> uh, and And then later yeah. when there was a drummer change I think you introduced Andy Gangadine, didn't you to uh, to H as well for the uh, for those shows towards the end?
2: I mean, I can't remember if I did or didn't. I knew of Andy anyway. Obviously, it was the Manchester connections, them mm-hmm. people, and whatever in the bands he was playing with. Um, and I always spoke highly of Andy.
0: I don't know if it... No, I think, I well, think uh, was, well yeah, H, rec- I H remember. remembers you did, so... Uh.
2: Yeah, well, there you are. I mean, I, I can't remember the conversation, but H will remember it. And then I also introduced... Uh, it seems to be drummers I always <laughs> introduce, Mikey Wilson as well. He came in uh, on a, for one spot. He's from uh, the band Texas. Texas and other bands as well, uh, Jazz Defectors and mm-hmm. Manchester bands. But um, And then, obviously there'll be a singer than um, uh, double our maestros as percussion so he always seems to be recommending. recommended uh, but it's been great working with Dave Gregory you know he's it's it's got such a great collection of guitars and he's a lovely guy he's a great to hang out with
0: no they're a, re- they're a really special band really special band
2: and Mr Barbarian, the Prince of da- uh, Darkness well yeah I Barberia. met him for the
0: first time uh, uh, <laughs> just before Christmas and
2: uh, yeah he has a certain His... dark
0: aura about him
2: we, we wrote a tune a few years back <laughs> it's still not finished <laughs> you
0: played me that when you were writing it yeah it's still a not real finished.
2: prog tune we did it started in 2011 or 12 or something it's just waiting to be finished it's a fantastic it's an epic mm. tune but um uh, one day we'll get it finished and uh I, I i did do some things when richard and um obviously uh, h did their solo kind of it's not solo, about collaboration hmm. uh ep's and things like that I contribute some guitars yeah yeah to that you as played well. on one of those didn't you i
0: remember yeah. yeah
2: i forget the things i played on actually it's not quite like tim pierce in that because his whole livelihood is about sessions but uh i have played on albums and in, in bands and things it's like i forget that was, i played on manic street preacher's single as well um let robson sing on one of the Uh, tracks on the on the sing the well the single itself but there's the remix um so
0: well there's lots of things some things
2: i rather not mention as well
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but there's there's the channel mate there's the channel there's the there's the there's i mean how many episodes of that could you do i played on this
2: oh forever oh yeah (laughs) i'll keep you busy Uh, did all the unsigned as well yeah be forever uh, the funniest things are like, if you saw me with like Rebel MC, I, mean, I was playing a double neck Steinberger at the time, M series. So he has a body, white body, and then has the two necks, like the Steinberger necks and baseball cap, Tashini tracksuit, tune the gum, bouncing up and down. To, I was a jungleist then. <laughs> Drum and bass and jungle. I mean, they were working with Tenor Fly. Again, the late Tenor Fly. <laughs> Oh, man, what such a talented lad, what a loss. Um, but and double tr- it came from that kind of London scene of Double mm. Trouble and so forth. And um, Mike West, who did, um, you know, um, Streets Off. And Janet Sewell was the vocalist on that, who was from Simply Red. She mm. was the uh, West Indian backing vocalist uh, at that time. Mm. Uh, during the second album men and women which we called blocks and sheilas on the australian leg <laughs> just for your information
0: <laughs> so we need to we need to think about wrapping this up because we've been banging on for an hour already I, I can't believe it's gone gone by quite Marathon
2: fast. chatting this, isn't it? so
0: so what you what are you up to now um what's what's filling your time apart from the the 10 the 10 mile walks and carrying the dog around <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, you know, you've got to do something to break the monotony of, you know, sitting in a seat and staring at a screen or yeah. sitting. <laughs> um, you've got to get out. So I've, I do that, but really what's for me, I'm releasing music. Mm. I've started, so under Aziz Ibrahim, uh, you can find that on Spotify and all the usual digital channels. But I, I started, I say Spotify because I, I've embraced it. Digital releases. Hmm. So, although in my tender age, <laughs> I should be doing the Marillion thing and <laughs> releasing limited edition vinyl and DVDs, and you know, kind of maximizing my monetization. Yes. You know, the that would be the best way to go. Uh, but being stupid, uh, I <laughs> decided to pursue learning a new trade. So as you can see by my beautiful MVCM microphone, that's, um, you know, I've upped my game in terms of, I started to look at broadcasting. So um, I looked at the frame and how can I improve the picture? So I got into learning about broadcasting, watching YouTube day after day after day to work out how I can share information um, almost like a new phase. So what I want to do is, kind of learn a lot more about um podcasting uh, like you guys mm. are doing and you're doing really well you know full marks Thank you. and all that and uh but I, I wanted to learn about podcasting and i want to learn about um just sharing um content creation mm. uh, which the things you taught me about actually Anthony, when you were ashore show so um i and i do listen i don't i mean i watch a lot of gamers youtubers um and I started to divert funds from equipment I own into broadcasting equipment or into content creation Um, because I believe that now, the way things are, I I need to release music. That was the first change I needed to do. It's been ages since I've actually released anything, so I put out my first single, The Key of Three, a few months ago. I intended to release every month. It's not happened that way because um, I just haven't set myself up in the right way or made it efficient. Mm. I, I mean, I generally use a line six helix or I use my Kemper profiler or I use an iPad with um Amplitude, mm-hmm. IK Multimedia's Amplitude Five now I'm on. So between those things I I can record quite easily and um I use IK's kind of a, I I HDs and things or I use the Helix as a audio IO and so that I can record what I want to record straight away. Mm-hmm. Um grab the instrument and then, but it's finishing things. That's the thing. That, um, it's getting to that finishing point and then uploading. And I, at the moment I'm uploading through like DistroKid and Ditto. And I'm trying different avenues mm. and seeing how it works. And I've been testing it. So there hasn't been consistency. And that's where I'm learning is about. See, I mean, you pro- could probably tell me more about this, but the fact is I, I do think uh, about how gr- professional... Uh, broadcasters and content creators create and i'm trying to learn those trades. so since we went under in march i've been learning about these things uh it's been a long it's been an enjoyable process but uh, i've been just changing my game as you can tell by my frame this picture Mm. Uh, the equipment i'm using and um, I don't know if you want to show any of this stuff even though I'm still using my original <laughs> Focus, <laughs> right. Focus Right. all <laughs> oh, the folks at Focus, Right. they'll be over the moon about that they'll be over the moon about that <laughs> so I mean yeah but this is because I'm an iPad user yeah. you see so I mean the iPad's over here at the moment you know it's in the chain um, dare I move it even so it's over yeah. here with the audio share on at the moment Um that was the other thing I delved into was about apps because I, I like sharing with young people who always ask me about recording music and how to create music. So I always turn them towards the phone and the iPad if they've got one or an Android phone and about how to make music with d- devices that you already have, or you've got a contract or you pay as you go or wherever. And they're just hundreds and hundreds of apps. Mm. I must have about 300 apps on there just for music alone, let alone the, video making apps and the whatnots and things. Uh, So I can't really say that, hey, you know, who can say they've been on tour? Not been on tour. Making music, yes, I've started making music. Releasing guitar music, because I think most people who know me, who want to hear anything I do, would probably want to hear the guitar. So um, even though I am making kind of EDM music, I've learned a lot over that, and got back to actually, because I'm in the the soul R&B, hip hop thing, my early days comes back into this now um so i'm making electronic music and i'm also um, making guitar music i'm going to do consistent releases i hope now um and at the same time you know it takes a lot learning new apps and things and how to use them so my production skills have got better um but field recordings i mean i watch channels like um I'm interested to people like Heinbach. I don't know if you watch people like Heinbach. So they're very creative uh, German music makers who use like, it's about tape and about the disintegration of tape and uh, about tape speeds and how, you know, you can warp sound in a way. So I look for apps which are very good at doing things like that. Um, and and Bambrose in um, in Holland is a typical guy who makes fantastic apps. Uh, and the. You know, it's like you can spend three hundred pounds on hardware, but you can buy that for nine ninety nine on an iPad or something or a phone. Um So, even though I've not made a lot of music, I've spent a lot of time during this, you know, pandemic um learning. Mm. Re—I I don't even say retraining because that kind of ties in what Rishi yeah, yeah, was yeah, saying. Don't, 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 you, yeah, don't go musicians there. Musicians need to retrain. Don't, don't go there. <laughs> but i have been retraining anyway um because i thought to myself if this continues like this how am i going to be productive i needed a new skill set so i embraced the digital world and i said right how can i make music i'll need to learn how to do this i'll need to learn how to do that i need to buy a decent camera and or i diverted funds because i didn't have the funds to do it but but then i'm also working with the arts council um i've done three arts projects and about m- making music and bringing music into cultural spaces like museums, art galleries, and um, wherever it is, libraries even, and making them accessible to young people. I just remember as a child thinking that these places are not for me, they're for the elite, and and I want to make them accessible. So I'm doing a lot of cultural programs. Um working with Lancashire County Council at the moment with the Heritage and Learning Team, about to launch this thing called Musician in Residence, which is a first that instead of an artist in residence, that you would have a musician in residence in a museum or in several, I'm going to be across the whole of Lancashire, you know, from Helmshaw to up to Morecambe or even further Carlisle or, and down to Preston and working in museums and art galleries and libraries and creating whatever a musical curator would curate I suppose so that's the challenging part and the, my three Arts Council projects um, have been about exploring my own identity and about how I can uh, create music, I mean at the moment I'm working in quadraphonic um, because of um, it's just been the new technology I've been using, digital technology like Line 6 Helix and their power. power cabs plus i can run four of them and run multi-channels because of uh, plugins or the helix itself where i can run channels out with individual effects or auv3 plugins to create quadraphonic sounds and tones Uh, so that's been my experimentation over these past few months uh, to develop sound in a that even th- not just three dimensional i like to do four dimensional where uh, the person is moving through a space, and the artists involved in the sound or in that band are spread across a um, hundred yards, mm. <laughs> and the way that music would change over that s- space has to be thought about how the music would continue and how the, uh, the what the experience is for the listener so i kind of vanishing up my own ass as well <laughs> during this period. But there's so much to learn and so much to explore. Like Jason says, you know, the, these channels on YouTube are just chock-a-bot chock full, full of information and, uh, or inspirations to find your own thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing, really. Um, obviously not travel, <laughs> but uh, a lot of learning, a lot of uh, research um, and making music. My the track, The Key of Three, is on spotify if you um and a few of the a lot of places anywhere that you can see but um there will be a follow-up track to that and i don't know what that's going to be um i've got a few to choose from um but that's it release music doing these artistic kind of projects cultural projects uh and um A lot of um, mentoring. I work with UCLAN and I got an honorary doctorate from Salford University. So, working closely with Salford Uni and working closely with UCLAN as a um, leader in residence there. And uh, there's probably things that just don't occur to me. But uh, the other thing is buying more and more equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm trying to work out how this microcosm works at the moment. And this is like i order it from the manufacturer himself the person who makes it (laughs) and uh it's just great to see new products out there i think if anything the guitar pedal world has suddenly blown up and there's some great products coming out um Mm. and i'd only see those through youtube because the actual person who made them will be on there and influencers will be using that equipment and and I'm fine. The writing tools. I'm looking for writing tools, creative, inspirational tools. So at the same time, I do spend a lot of time doing that, <laughs> looking at what. So know, what's what can I sell and what can I buy? What,
0: what's the um? Where's the best place for people to hook up with you? So where would you direct them towards? Anybody wants to keep track of what you're doing? What's the? Uh...
2: Yeah, I mean that's a good question because it's the kind of question I would ask myself, as in. How do people find me? Where do I want people to go? I always ask myself these things. So I've started my, um, musically speaking, I suppose Spotify is the place to go, Aziz Ibrahim. Um, and Aziz Ibrahim Music is where I'm on YouTube, um, where I'm going to launch a lot of content and hopefully you know, create uh, uh, videos with information in them that are from my own experience and perspective and my journey and, and share that with people. So it'll be YouTube, but Facebook is probably the busiest place for me um, at um, Aziza Brim Music again. Um, don't go to my personal profile page, Aziza <laughs> Brim Musician, because it, it, that limit, that 5,000 limit, there's no point in it. I can't add anybody. So um, yeah, my music page on Facebook, uh, Aziza Brim Music that that's the best place yes. um and then my website is aziz.co.uk um most things i'm on um aziz ibrahim 56 on twitter pinterest um instagram um and the same i think even on I mean, I'm on Twitch, I'm on Discord, I'm on, you name it. I'm sat there with these young 10, 11-year-old gamers in the middle of it pretending I'm as good as them. Watch me on Fortnite. and we'll- but I've learned so much from them. I do. i learned so much. Well, look, we'll ping a load of links up on
0: the show notes. Uh, we do a little playlist um, to go with the episode anyway, so we'll put the new material on with a selection of other bits. Um, mate, it's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure.
2: Thank you. Thank you for your time. An absolute pressure, eh? <laughs> yes, the hostility. I mean, the hospitality you've shown me has been fantastic. And on,
0: and on that note...
2: <laughs> on the light and know well look <laughs> the news <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
0: let's talk about vaccinations right now listen it's an absolute pleasure hopefully catch up with you real soon when we can actually get out and about i mean it's only it's only 25 miles down the road and uh, and and you know not not that we could even go that distance so always <laughs> welcome
2: it's great to see you both i mean like I said i want to see jason at the shows really it gets at his shows yeah, there and, are no um, other shows. <laughs> there are; they <laughs> don't exist. They, they pale in <laughs> in <significance. laughs> Um And yourself, yeah, you know. But I mean, I'm glad to see that you guys are doing this channel. You, you know, um, I've not watched the others yet, so um, I may change my mind. <laughs> but well, at this moment in time, and it's a great combination. Yourself and Chase, you know, I think you. Well, that, wish you all the success. Thank you with thank your you very much
0: Thank you. Listen, mate. You take care, and we will speak to you. We'll speak to you really soon. Thanks for listening to Nine to Forty Two, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about Nine to Forty Two, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production.